Train, eat, repeat. The knowledge and know-how you need to live well. Here's your host, Tyler Ferrand. Hello, everyone, and welcome back into another episode of Train, Eat, Repeat. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope you are not laboring or struggling after a weekend that is full of food, but I hope you all had a lot of fun as well. What's on tap for today? I had the chance to sit down with Jonathan Goodman. Uh, Basically, this guy's a pioneer. He's been bringing the fitness industry together uh, since 2011. He's published 11 books, welcomed over 20 million visitors to his website, and has sold over 250,000 educational items to health and fitness enthusiasts, including ones just like me. Originally from Toronto, Coach Goodman has enjoyed over 1,300 days exploring the world. In fact, when we jumped on this podcast, he was talking to me from Mexico, and he's there with his family and just enjoying life. Um, You can follow him on Instagram at It's Coach Goodman. It's Coach Goodman. Again, if you want to follow him on Instagram, this was a great conversation. Um, Even if you're not necessarily in the fitness industry, um, you're going to get a good beat on exactly uh, what the industry looks like post-COVID, the good, the bad, and the ugly, um, and also get an idea about what it means to have values and and what what it's meant to to Jonathan um, in terms of keeping true to his values um, that has added to his success, but also his ability to keep a level-headedness about him, um, and and to also not to get too far ahead of himself, I guess is the best way to explain it. Um, but I had a great time talking with him. In fact, when we first jumped on, he said he wanted to do the podcast because he wanted to get to know a little bit more about me and trying to build that bench of really good uh, fitness enthusiasts and fitness coaches. Um, so I'm sure you guys are sure to get something out of this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, when you're done, go ahead on iTunes and leave a five-star review. would greatly appreciate that and leave a review while you're there as well. So here's my discussion with Jonathan Goodman, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Take care. All right. So Jonathan Goodman, uh, been following you for a long time um, through various readings of your books, um, 11 books to date, uh, you know, following you on IG. Um, and, and really, um, as we were just starting our conversation before we, we started recording here, was just talking about how much of a pioneer you are in the space. And one thing that I like to ask everybody who comes on as a guest on my show and and something that I ask of all my clients, because I do believe it leads to them uh, really identifying why it's important to them or or why they're deciding to live this lifestyle is why do you do what you do? Why is this so important for you? And why did this become such a, uh, well, first of all, it became your business, came your livelihood, but why was it so important for you to coach coaches? Yeah, let me let me respond to one of the first things you said. First of all, thank you for that intro, Tyler. I'm happy to be here, man. Selfishly to get to know you better. I hope other people get value from this, but that's kind of my selfish reason. But the idea that I'm any that anybody would ever think of me as some sort of a pioneer is crazy, to be completely honest. Like I'm 36 years old. It just shows you how young the fitness industry is mm-hmm. and how young the online fitness industry is. And I think I think that that's perhaps a lot of the reason why there's a lot of the stuff going on that's kind of nonsense and ridiculous. It were basically in the like awkward teenage, you know, peacocking phase. Everybody's just running around kind of trying to get laid, but like doesn't really know themselves. You know, that's kind of the age of the fitness industry right now. Um, You ask me why I do what I do. I don't have a good answer for you. I wish that I did. I wish that I could give you this brilliant, you know, self-help guru sage. Here is my greater purpose. Nah, man, life's messier than that, right? I'm, I'm done with these nice plausible, neat sounding narratives and post rationalizations and trying to spin up what life is like into this beautiful little like, you know, curve with smoothed out lines. Cause it's not like that. I have no idea to be honest. I was a personal trainer. I did well as a personal trainer. I figured out very early on that being a personal trainer at 6am to 9pm every single day was great when I was 22 years old, but it wasn't something that I was going to be able to do with a family the way that I was doing it. I wanted to travel. I wanted to have a family and, um, and I was having fun, but I started looking at other stuff, 
selfishly for me, it was not a greater purpose of like, I'm going to change the world, right? It was like, nah, I want my life to be pretty good. And so I started reading about multiple streams of income. I started reading about passive income. This is 2008, right? Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I went to the library and, and I took out books. I actually went to the bookstore first and I found the best-selling books. Then I went to the library and I checked them out. So you didn't have to pay for them. Yeah. 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 yeah as somebody who's now written a whole bunch of books, don't do that, by the way. <laughs> uh, but no, if, if some of my books are in the library and I am ecstatic if you get them from the library. Um, and so, you know, I wrote two business plans for smoothie operations, right? I studied residential real estate investing for six months. Like I was just searching for something. I came across, I was curious. I came across this term infopreneuring. In 2008, the idea that you could sell information on the internet was remarkable. Mm. Now it's Mm. obvious. And in that book, it said, you know, write a book about something you know about, and then all these income streams open up to you. And so that's what I did, right? I wrote a book about personal training, and then I basically just followed that path and made it up as I went. I mean, nobody gave me permission. I didn't know anybody. I was a, working in a small boutique gym in Toronto. Um, I, I literally, like, I wrote this book every single day when I was training clients. I had a page on the back of my clipboard and I wrote down what I did with every single one of my clients on the back of that page. And then I'd go home and I'd type that up, hmm. you know, a little bit more detail. That was the original manuscript. Then I went to the bookstore and I looked up the best-selling fitness books and I wrote down the names of the authors and I emailed them and asked them to be introduced to their editor. And Brad Schoenfeld invited, introduced me to Kelly James Anger, who I paid $7,500 to edit the book. And then I figured out how to self-publish the book. Like every step of the way was just basically figuring it out, right? Sure. And, you know, I've never gotten investment. I've never taken on debt and I own 100% of everything that I do. Um. And I'm proud of that because it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't trying to do things too fast. Right. Um, but I don't know why. I mean, now I'm super passionate for sure about bringing the industry together and um, good trainers and good training and really just getting people moving more and stop freaking confusing them with get ripped quick nonsense and detoxes and, you know, booty band Betty throwing a, you know, elastic strap around her legs, everything she's doing, telling me that she's going to, you know, this is how you get a big ass. Meanwhile, she's a Latina from Miami. It's like, you were born with that. Like, You're kind of born with it. Yeah. Like, well, genetics like, playing a role like, there. This has nothing to do with that booty band <laughs> that you strapped on for those tricep kickbacks, Betty. Like, like, we and that's also not there, the only right? thing that they're doing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not the only piece of equipment they're using. And they, the amount of years and years and years of training. It, talk a little bit about that to, to backtrack a little bit. You said that the this training, this online phenomenon, right, uh, of coaching and, and f- influencers, we're relatively still young. There's still so much to know. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and to a certain extent, going back to the basics, right, like going back to even like the Arnold days of like, <laughs> if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. So tell me where the fitness space is right now in your eyes and what's wrong with it, but also what's really great about it. Sure. What's wrong with it is that fitness is always very emotional, Hmm. right? And it's always kind of deeply rooted in sex. At the same time, fitness and health, fitness is preventative health. Hmm. But there's a lot of issues with that. The, the, The way that every human is, myself included, is we throw money at problems that already exist, but we are... it's very rare for us to spend lavishly on avoiding problems happening in the first place. There's a really great thought experiment for this. This is from uh, Nicholas Nassim Tlaib, um, author of Black Swan and Anti-Fragile and whatnot. And um, the thought experiment is this. He says, uh, you know, imagine if on September 10th, 2001, somebody who worked for the International Aviation Association were to go into the head office and say, yo, there is an imminent threat here. Uh, We need to triple security. We need to bolt down the pilot stores and we need to do it now. He would have been laughed out of the office, probably fired. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, 
he would have averted what many describe as the greatest disaster in modern American history. Whether it is or not, there's a lot of arguments about what terrorism is and isn't. Sure. Right? But, but he would have averted it. This guy would have been a hero. There's no question. But nobody would have known. Even if they did do those things and nothing happened, right? They would have said, what the hell? Nothing happened. Like what – like – yeah, we caught a couple extra people like doing stuff and, you know, TSA checks. Like, who cares? Right? Nothing would have happened. Meanwhile, the first responders, after the incident happened, after the plane, you know, after September 11th, when the planes flew into the, the, the Twin Towers and whatnot, um, rightfully, justifiably, right, were honored. They're the reactive care practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Fauci, to use a very um, divisive topic, you know, COVID, Anthony Fauci said, I still remember this, March 2021, he said straight up, it was he was prophetic. He said, there is no way that I'm going to win here because if people do en masse what we say that they need to do and it works – they're going to say, what the hell was the big deal? Right. Why did you break the economy? Why did you disrupt my life? This wasn't a big deal. If people don't, a lot of people are going to die. There's no way to win. No, right? there's not. And so, you, you know, you think about like the fitness industry this way. The fitness industry is preventative health. If you go to anybody – Almost anybody. I won't say anybody. If you go to nine out of 10 people walking down the street and you say, hey, I'm going to give you an option. Okay. I'm going to give you an option. You got a hundred bucks. You can spend that hundred dollars on a surgery or on physiotherapy, or you can spend that hundred dollars on making sure you never need surgery or physiotherapy. Everybody will say the first, right? Mm -hmm. You're- The vast majority of people absolutely buy into the idea that preventative health is far more important than reactive health. I'm not downplaying the role of reactive health practitioners. I love my chiropractor, right? I think he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I think doctors are super important. But I do think that fitness and health professionals actually are more important than reactive health professionals for the sole reason that we would not need anywhere close to the amount of reactive healthcare practitioners if people bought into preventative health a lot more. There's no question. Right. So how do we how do you change that mindset then? So what you're talking about is a mindset shift, right? I don't Going think it's from- a mindset shift. No. Because no. I don't I mean it's it's so deeply embedded into us. I don't think it's a mindset shift. I, I don't because it's everybody already agrees that this is the right way to do it. Right? There's no mindset that needs to be changed. It's an action shift. We need to make it important enough for people to do now. Um, I, I don't think it's a mindset. And thing. so, but do you think though that? So it's it's like every single client that will come to me. It's like I know what to do. I know what to eat. I just mm. don't do it. Right? right. So we're on that same route of, you know what? Nothing's wrong right now. So I'm not going to make that shift. Until I have to, which is right. that reactionary type of style, right? They think, well, once it's broken, then I can just fix it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's true, right? There has been proof that we can reverse disease with with healthy eating and, and you know, more movement. But if it's more of an action, then would you say that the current landscape on social media, all these quick fixes, right? They're playing on that reactionary sort of mindset of the individual then so that they can take advantage of it? Well, I mean, I don't know. This is a deep problem to unpack. Sure. There's a lot going on here. The supplement industry is worth twice as much as the entire rest of the fitness and health industries combined. What does that tell you? People want to take a pill, right? Humans are always going to go for easy before they go for hard. I do. Like, I get it. Like, I'm if somebody's like, I, right, you got a choice, dude. I'ma make you really sexy, and all you gotta do is take this farty fat loss pill. Or you're gonna have to, you know, 
be more controlled with what you eat and exercise before your kid wakes up every single day and whatever. I'm I'm, I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to take that fatty fat loss pill, you know? And so I get it. The problem is those things, of course, don't work long term. I think the key – I mean – if somebody's having success with what they're selling, even if you don't agree with what they're selling, you can always learn something from them about how to sell, about human behavior, right? And so what I think is that a lot of good people who work in fitness need to do a much better job at understanding how to give somebody what they want right now while providing them what they need long term. Right. You're making it fit into their lifestyle. You're making it sexy, if you will, mm-hmm. if we even want to say that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. I, I I, mean, in my first book, Ignite the Fire, I have a whole chapter on something called the excitation system. Basically, how to get a client to want to do an exercise by digging into their deep, deep want, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not really about losing five pounds. It's often deeper and it's often about sex. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I give the example of a woman comes in and says that this is a real example from one of my clients. So it's not like me stereotyping, right? Woman comes in and said she wanted to lose five pounds. And I said, why? And, and I kept going with that line of questioning, right? Why do you want to lose five pounds? Oh, what would that mean to you? Oh, can you remember a specific time in your life when you felt that way? And all of a sudden she kind of gives this like little smoke, you know, that, you know, that look that people give when they're, when there's something that they want to say, uh, but they feel silly for saying it. Sure. Yeah. It, Cause it then was, you're getting to their true why. Then you're getting there. So it was kind of that, it was kind of that smoke. She's like, oh, so, this is so stupid. But like, there was a time a few years ago when I was on a cruise with my husband and I put on a black dress and I still have that dress. And I remember that night, so this is so silly, but I remember that night and I remember my husband just couldn't keep his hands off of me. Hmm. And we finally made it outside. She's like, it took a while. And she giggled a little bit, right? She's like, it took a while, but we finally made it outside. We went to dinner and I could just feel the eyes of everybody on the cruise ship on me, right? I could feel that all the men wanted to be with me and the women wanted to be me. And I was like, that's it. This is, mm-hmm. workout is no longer fat loss day one, phase one, right? Mm-hmm. This is now the black dress workout. And if I'm going to explain to you why you're going to do a goblet squat, all that I need to say now is, all right, I'm going to call her Sue. Her name wasn't Sue. All right, Sue. We're going to do a goblet squat now. i tell you a little bit about why we're doing this, Kate. So the goblet squat works a lot of the big muscles in your legs and your glutes. And the reason why that's important is because when you work the bigger muscles, there's what's called a greater thermic effect of exercise. The calories you burn in the workout are actually much less relevant than the calories you burn afterwards. And so in order for you to be able to look great in that black dress again, we're going to pick the exercises that have the greatest thermic effect of exercise. Basically, the 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 it's called epoch, the post oxygen consumption, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're doing that's why we're doing the squat. Um, yo, Sue is going to squat in her kitchen when she gets home. Right. If you can tie the why to their goal, to their main why, they're going to be more likely to do it. Yeah. Right. So it's as simple as finding that relation, if you will, to what they're trying to achieve. Um, and, and, and I think people can look at selling sex as a, as a negative, but sex doesn't always necessarily mean that I'm trying to look my best for somebody else, even though it, it might be a spouse or it might be a partner, mm-hmm. but more so you're doing it for yourself because it's how you feel. You said that woman felt a certain way. What? And feelings will always drive more action, in my right. opinion, than me just telling you you should do it just because. Right. Yeah, man. Look, like, again, you got to you gotta do, you know, what, what you feel like you're comfortable with, of course. Mm-hmm. But the reality of it is humans are more motivated by status and sex than just about anything else. And so 
if you want to make preventative health important enough for somebody to take action on that thing, then relating it to status and sex is is a really good way to make it important enough right now for somebody to do something. So you're giving them, you know, what they want right deep down mm-hmm. and, um, and at the same time providing them what they need. Uh, so I think it's a matter of kind of bending without breaking, right? You're not, I mean, it depends who you have, you know, I, I for sure train younger guys who are single and I'm like, I, you're going out this weekend. Like, let's get you feeling really good. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that happens obviously, but, but the majority of clients are, you know, a little bit more mature in their lives. Um, but still, I mean, why do I train? Right. I love training. I love how I feel. It's mental health, hundred percent, but I'd be straight up lying to you. If I said that a large part of it was not because I just like feeling like I look good. I like how my wife looks at me. I like how my wife touches me. I like walking down the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to say, hey, I want to feel good, but I, I could care less if I look the part too. Right. Nobody's going to say that. And typically that doesn't ever happen. If, if you don't look good, I'm not going to say it's it's a given. There's probably mm-hmm. some areas that you could work on. Um and the, and the other aspect. So, so that's, that, that maybe is the, the bad part uh, of, of, of health and wellness in this day and age, right. Is trying to find a way for people to be more preventative rather than reactionary um, when it comes to their health. What is the good part? I, mean, of I health wouldn't and wellness say, right I now? wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't say that that's even the bad part. I would just say that that's the reality, right? You know, I'm, I'm always, I've always been a firm believer of just, it doesn't really matter how you want something to be. Hmm. What matters is that you're able to separate from that and objectively figure out how things really are and then identify what your place and your actions are going to be within that. And this is why a deep understanding of human psychology, behavioral psychology is really important, right? Especially now that all of us are in these filter bubbles with people who agree with us, it can be very difficult to figure out and get a realistic viewpoint of how things actually are in the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really important. Um, what you ask about what's what's good in the industry? There are more good people entering the industry every single day than there ever was. COVID really hurt the fitness industry, but. It did what a lot of, to quote Nassim Tlaib again, like it did what a lot of black swans events do, which basically forced people to shit or get off the pot to be as crude as I can possibly be. Mm-hmm. The worst position that you can ever be in is having things just okay. You know what I'm saying? If things are really good, great. If things are really bad, it forces you to do something about it. Sure. If things are just okay, but not quite good, but you know, not quite bad enough, you're kind of just gliding by and not really happy and not really making a big impact or anything, right? That was kind of what a lot of people were like in the fitness industry before COVID. Okay. Wasn't quite good. Right. We weren't quite making an impact. There was a lot of people in it who didn't quite perhaps care. They kind of just fell into it and it's kind of what they did. Well, COVID broke all that stuff down. COVID made it so that it was bad enough that you had to do something about it, which meant one of two things. It meant people either said, okay, I need to get serious about this thing, right? You know, my conviction is strengthened. I'm going to learn how to actually turn this into a business. I'm going to understand how humans operate. I'm going to understand how to get my message out more and help Mm -hmm. more people. Or I'm not willing to do that. I'm leaving the industry. And I'm becoming a real estate agent because basically everybody who (laughs) decides to leave the fitness industry becomes a real estate agent or crypto trader. And so, you know, or I'm going to become a real estate agent. And like, that's a joke. I mean, obviously not just a real estate agent, but like most of the time. Um, And so I look at that as a really big positive where we had a lot of people who had been in the industry for a long time got hurt really badly, which sucks. Sucks so bad. But what's growing out of the ashes is really beautiful. At the same time now, um, we are seeing more people enter the industry than we ever have. Because it's more accessible, 
right? It's more accessible. A lot of what COVID also did to other industries is it taught people that perhaps they have a little bit less control over their destiny as they thought, and maybe they should do what they're really passionate about. Hmm. And so a lot of folks, you know, our age and, and even a little bit older, like fitness was not really an industry when we were starting work. And so even people who are passionate about fitness went into nursing or pharmaceuticals or like other type of health kind of careers, but they always kind of loved working out. And, uh, and a lot of these professional type careers, people in them are not particularly happy working in them. Mm-hmm. But they're not entering our industry full time. They're entering our industry on the side. We're seeing a lot more side giggers come in, which I see as a positive. Because I think that the neighborhood fitness hero, like my wife, who gathers a group of neighborhood women to work out in our garage at seven in the morning just because she's working out and she invites other moms at the park to come work out with her. Mm-hmm. I think those people can do so much good. And I'm so happy that there's a lot more of them coming into our field without the pressure of having to do this thing full time and feed your family with it. Right. Now, do you feel like because there's more people coming into the industry, even though you said that COVID sort of knocked out those people that were kind of just, you know, on cruise control, if you will, let's just use that as a, as an analogy. Good analogy. The cream has risen to the top. Somebody who's only partially invested, even though if it, it something like a community-based um, gathering, you know, like inside of your garage is amazing. Like the one thing that everybody needed more of post-COVID is community, right? Yeah. And connection, not mm-hmm. this type of connection that you and I are doing. Um, I'll happily come to Puerto Vallera uh, if you need me to. Um, but, uh, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, though, these part-timers and the more voices you have talking about a topic, doesn't that muddy the water a little bit more in terms of like, what should I do? Oh, no. Do I still got you? Check, check. Hello, hello, hello. Still there? It's okay, buddy. Go lay down. Good boy. There you are. Are we back? Yeah. I don't know if that's my connection or yours. Well, you've been, you've been like fuzzy most of the time. So I don't know. It might be my connection. Okay. Odd. Um, but my, my, my question was, you know, the, you typically, the more voices you have, the more confusing it gets, not for the coaches, but it get more confusing. It gets for the consumer. Right. And that, and that's one of the biggest things that I've noticed is like, yes, there may be a core set of values or ideas that every program diet uh, will agree upon. Right. But the more you, more information you put out for somebody Mm -hmm. who's not indoctrinated into this, this field, it gets very, very confusing. So do you see that as a potential problem? No, no. I see that as a beautiful thing. There's um, Chris Anderson. It's former editor-in-chief for Wired Magazine, uh, came up with a concept called the long tail a number of years ago. And he was using it to describe places like Amazon. Basically, when, when decentralization takes place, what's called a long tail effect comes into play. You can, you can just Google long tail if you want to go okay. deeper in, into it if anybody listening. But basically, what it is, is, is it's a reverse exponential curve. And so um, you have you have a few people what, – whenever there's decentralization, you're going to have a few or even one, right, person or company that's just going to be massive right at the top. But then you're going to have a really steep drop-off and you're going to have an almost infinite amount of people and businesses that are going to be able to compete and do well. And basically nothing in the middle, right? And we're seeing that in fitness. And so you have the beach bodies and the Pelotons of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Who are building billion dollar businesses. Um, and, and Tono, I think, I think Tono is going to do really well as well. Who are building billion dollar businesses, right? If you think about it, there's actually fewer and fewer and fewer middle ground. I'm talking middle ground, like, like 50 to $500 million businesses. Okay. Like there's actually fewer and fewer of those. And those are effectively going to go away because there's no space in the market for them, right? You're either massive, you're either Amazon or you're nobody. Like who's the second biggest, you know, online book retailer, 
like Abe books for, you know, yeah. use like it's, it's irrelevant. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so, so that's what happens. And then there's almost an infinite amount of opportunity for people on the ground level to carve out their really, really tight micro niche and build their own audience and their own platform. That's one to 10 million bucks. Right. Mm. And we're seeing this happen. And the smart people in fitness are really grabbing onto this, right? It's a matter of how well can you tell your story? How well can you identify what we call your 1% uniqueness, your uncommon commonalities that you have with a very small amount of people? Because your competitive advantage is that you are the only person who's you. It sounds so stupid. But it's true. true. Yeah. That is your competitive advantage. That's something that a large conglomerate organization or, or private equity or venture capital or, or, or public company can't ever compete with. They can't ever go as personal. They can't ever go as unique as you can. But the problem is that a lot of people in fitness are mistakenly trying to play the same game as these large companies or as these large influencers. And as a result, they're getting their asses handed. Because if you play a game, put it this way, if, if you're not absolutely shredded to the T, like Billy, the IG fit kid who lives in his mom's basement and is 21 years old and has her cooking meatloaf for him twice a day and has no other responsibilities other than to train. Like if you're not Billy, the IG fit kid, but you have an incredible story where maybe you look like a regular healthy human being, mm -hmm. you know, and you have an incredible story of weight loss or overcoming, but you share the same as Billy the IG Fit Kid, Billy the IG Fit Kid is going to kick your ass, right? right? Because you're playing his game. If you're trying to run paid advertisements and you're trying to write better copy or have better converting ads – there are companies who have budgets of hundreds of millions of dollars for paid advertising. You're going to get smoked, right? Right, right. But if you know how to tell your own story, if you know what it is that makes you unique, you know, Alex Pfeiffer loves craft beer. And so barbells and brews, you know, Briggs a community of guys who love craft beer who want to look great and so figure out how they can drink the drink that they love and still look great. Carolina Belmares is a well now she's in a relationship but you know was a was a, a a single like divorced Mexican expat mother with three kids living in North America. How do you think she got her clients? She joined a Mexican expat mother living in North America Facebook group and became right. told her story in there. And when she did that, she invited people to a um, to a webinar that she was going to put on for $8 and had 800 people sign up. Wow. One wow. Facebook post for free in one Facebook group. That's the power of this shit, man. Right? right. But you got to – you like, like this is why vision is so important, right? Mm -hmm. This is why knowing what game you're playing and what's unique and interesting about you is so important because if you don't, you're just going to be – blasting off into the ether all over the places and your efforts are going to be diluted. If you do, you know exactly where to go. You know what language to speak. You know what stories to tell. Consider my Instagram. Like you've been following along what I've been doing the last three weeks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm repeating the same messages over and over again, aren't I? You are. And, and I feel like the messages are more are more personal. Um, even the, the email you sent out about how the, the changes coming to your website and mm -hmm. the changes to the name PTDC, for those of you that don't know what that is, that's a personal training development center, which you developed. Um, and not to get too off topic, but obviously there's been a change in your messaging. Yes. Yeah. And why? Number yeah. one, it just feels better. All right. And I'm sending out, you know, end of the month, I'm sending out, a, you know, my first newsletter today. And it's a letter like I'd write to a friend. What can I do? Most of the other companies in our space, so we're coming out with software and when we're an education company, almost every other company in our space has now been purchased by private equity and venture capital, which means that their responsibility is to their investors, first and foremost. Their entire decision-making matrices and litmus tests and, and, and all of their KPIs are around profit to satisfy 
their investors because they have a fiduciary responsibility for that, mm-hmm. right? They have to build bigger. They have to be corporate, right? Why would I play that game? They've got a $100 billion venture capital firm backing them. I'm me. Right. Right. right? Like we're doing good, but like I'm me. Like I'll, you know, I'm not going to compete with them on firepower. Fortunately, firepower and data is not the biggest advantage that you can have in business today. Being able to be personal and tell your story and build relationships with people is. And so with, with the help of a, of a consultant, his name is Louis Grenier that we worked with. We just decided like, yo, we're going to the edge of the map with this, right? We're going all in. This is personal. Hmm. We're not a corporation, right? We're personal. We're here for you. We're on your side. We're going to bring you together. We're speaking the way that you speak. I could talk about a lot of different things on my Instagram. Sure. Right? But instead, I'm choosing the four or five different themes that I know bothers trainers deep down in their heart. And I'm repeating those over and over and over again ad nauseum. And the result is that in three weeks, I've gained six and a half thousand followers and reached 600,000 people. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, that's niching down, right? You're speaking mm-hmm. to your audience, um, which you just pointed out. On the other end of the spectrum, we just talked about, you know, to a large extent, how it benefits coaches now, right? You see it as an opportunity and, and, and how it's opened up this entire new space to have these micro niches of communities and, and be able to thrive. I mean, by no means, 100%. you're not making a hundred million dollars a year, but you are making a living much in the same way that you are. But for the consumer, if I'm looking at Billy fit kid, you know, eating meatloaf and has six pack abs. Billy and I'm like, the IG fit kid. Yeah, that. Why? I love why that <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> and I think mom's basement should be his location. I think that should be something that every, every, time, time, every time I talk about Billy, I should do mom's basement. Right? <laughs> every time I do booty band Betty, I should just do Miami. 100%. 100%. <laughs> But for the consumer, though, they and if we're talking about sex sells, which goes back to one of our original points, and I say, okay, I'm going to follow his advice because he's the one who's going to get the most views, at least mm-hmm. initially, right? So, like, how how do people find the good coaches, right? Right. It's a matter of it's a matter of, of depth versus quality, right? Or, or it's a matter of width versus quality. Sorry, not depth. So 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 depth versus width. Um, Billy, the IG Fit Kid to use his example or, you know, jumping Jack, Jimmy, um, right. Uh, they, they don't have any depth. And so some of them have been able to build really big platforms, um, which basically just means a lot of eyeballs, but nobody really cares about them. Hmm. Right. They're attractive, you know, and this has always kind of been in the fitness industry. Um, if you can get a lot of eyeballs, you can sell – you're basically competing for the bottom. You can sell a lot of stuff on fear and emotion, supplements, low-end membership, workout sites that nobody actually does the work, mm-hmm. right, versus depth. I put out one Facebook post say, hey, I'm creating a program on time management um, and, and productivity it's 500 bucks to be in the beta group who wants to be in. You've got to pay within the next 24 hours. And within 20 minutes, I have 30 people signing up. They don't even know what it is. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's one post on my personal Facebook page. That's the difference between width versus quality. And it's because to me, the most powerful, the most scalable the most valuable marketing you can ever do today is to go deep every single day with people one-on-one. I said at the beginning of this podcast, selfishly, I'm doing this podcast because I want to get to know you better, Tyler. Straight up. I'll tell you why that is. A lot of what I do, I mean, I'm, I'm an old guy in our industry, right? I've been, I've been in the online fitness industry for 11 years. That basically makes me a great, great grandfather. <laughs> 
Like, hey, I'm like, 36 too. Okay, I, I only, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm old, but well, I feel like I'm old in online fitness. Right. You know, right I don't feel right, like right. I'm old, but like this world turns over every two or three years. Right. Like if you've been in it for a long time, I got the amount of people I've seen come and go. Mm-hmm. Because if you're posting every single day, and and you're just you're jumping on every single trend, right? Mm. And then all that you can do at the end of it is sell, you know, low end supplements or, um, you know, shitty ebooks. It's like you ain't going to be around for very long. Like you're going to get blown out. You're just going to get burnt out. Hmm. And, and you go away and become a real estate agent. And so, and so, you know, I've seen a lot come and go. And I know that my success for the next 10 years is going to largely be dependent on bringing up the next the next row the next stage the next group hmm. of really good people in our field and so i look for ways to identify somebody who's just good shit like just you know you you look at people and i've done this for so long it's like it's like you've watched so many people squat and lift and whatever you can just take one look at somebody and you don't even know what's going on in their body yet, but you know exactly that there's something wrong and how to fix it. Mm-hmm. And then you take a step back and you're like, okay, well, like, yeah, this, 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 you know, they've got a tight acetabulum or whatever, right? Sure. But like you could take one look at them because you've done it so many times. You just have those reps. And so I have that now. I can look at people who are in doing stuff online and I can say it's just like – I don't even know what it is, right? But there's something good going on there. And so what I'm trying to do is build into what I'm doing a way to befriend and build relationships with those people. And one way, one thing that I've identified is people who have a podcast. So I I put out a call, you know, this is how you booked in and stuff like that. I put out a call that basically said, if you have a podcast, I would love to be on it. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's brand new and you have zero listeners. I would, I would love to be on your podcast. And a whole bunch of people reached out to me and they said, hey, how about we do an IGTV? And I said, no. And the reason for that is quite simple. You have no skin in the game if you're doing an IGTV, right? You just turn around your phone and talk into it for 20 minutes. You're not – somebody who's a podcast, look at you. You have a mic. You've got – the thing that stops the popping with the peas, you have the noise. Can- like, like you, you have put work and effort into doing this thing. Whether or not your podcast is going to be successful or not, I don't know. But you have already identified to me by the sheer fact that you're doing a podcast. We're talking on Zencaster, right? Mm, We're not just yeah. going on Zoom and you're recording it. Right. That you are the type of person who is more serious about what you're doing. And you're going to go in and do your own research. That to me is a very, very distinct identifier that there's something good going on there. And the odds that that person is going to do well and become more influential over time exponentially increase. Hmm. Right. That's why I want to do these podcasts. I'm ecstatic if, if anybody listening gets any value. But selfishly, this is a way for me to have an hour conversation with you. It's such an interesting, I guess, and refreshing uh, notion that you got on here to get to know me rather than me trying to I, I pick your brain and or having you come on trying to sell your next program or um, which I think would help individuals. But what, you know, it, it's very refreshing to hear that you're building a bench of the future, yeah. because as I spoke earlier, the big th- problem I see in our space is there's not enough of collaboration. There's more about competition and competition can be healthy. I think competition is great. Um, we talked about n- niches, right? If you are singling out your niche, the competition isn't as wide. Whereas if you're trying to serve everybody, all, yeah. now all of a sudden you do have a lot of competition, but that, that notion is refreshing to say the least. I mean, yeah, like I got nothing to sell, <laughs> you know, I just like, I'm good. Right. Like I've done well. Um, you right. know, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I had every advantage in the world and I, and I understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was born a white cisgendered male in Toronto to a loving family and was given the opportunity to graduate university debt free. Hmm. Hmm. 
Like I had every advantage in the world, man. And I, and I like, I, I think it's, I think it's very important to connect with that and not to, not to feel bad about it. Like I don't have any guilt around right. it. Um, but just recognize that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and take stock. There's, I don't know, it seems to me in this world today, it, it, like I'm, I'm very interested in, in wealth management as well. And because um, I just see so many parallels to fitness. I mean, it's all, it's all playing the long game. It's all having a personal philosophy towards what you're doing and executing on a plan. It's all compound interest. Like it's all that matters, but it just seems like, you know, what's happening today in, you know, last year was all day trading stocks. This year is all day trading NFTs and stuff, right? And it's it, it, the the desire to get rich quick is just insane mm. right mm-hmm. now. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, you know, I can afford to not. This is like. This is my philosophy on fitness. This is my philosophy on business. This is my philosophy on investing. I can afford to not take undue risks and I can afford not to gamble. Right? Right. I can't afford to lose everything. I can't afford to get hurt. I can't afford to hurt my reputation. Sure. And so every decision I put into it is that, right? I am slower to move on just about every new technology, algorithm change, whatever it is. Hmm. And I've missed out on some spikes for sure, right? But I can afford that. Because you're playing that long game, because yeah. you're research, because you realize there's a greater benefit, much in the way of health, if you do play the long game. I can afford to not touch NFTs or crypto trading bots. Uh. But I own a metric shit ton of Bitcoin, right? And the reason for that is I believe in the fundamentals of cryptocurrency over the long term. I don't believe in, you know, the noisy nonsense of everybody trying to get rich because at the end of the day, it's just rich people manipulating everybody else anyway. Um, and, and the same thing with fitness, right? I can't afford to get hurt, which means I'm straight up just not going to push the envelope. Hmm. And I understand that that means that I will not perhaps look a certain way, right? I'm not going to be the guy walking down the beach shredded to all hell because I know what it would take to do that and I'm not willing to do that. Right. But I can't afford not to exercise every day, not to move my body every day. Where do those values come from? Because what you're speaking of is putting less of an emphasis in the material, more of an emphasis around quality time. Um, you know, on your IG, you you proudly display your sort of philosophy around the fact that, well, health is wealth, yes, but part of your health is your social circle and your family and being grateful for what you have. Where does that come from? I don't know. I like to think it's just a combination of experiences. Um, it, it's it's something I think a lot about is how many decisions that pigeonhole us that we've been made to believe we should make very early in life before we don't know anything about life. And so the two major ones are, you know, what you study in school and, and where you buy your house. Hmm. And so I had a great university experience. I studied kinesiology, but like I went to university at 17, right? Wow. Yeah. I graduated when I was 21 and um, I was lucky, you know, I studied kinesiology. I was lucky that I did pick something that I really loved. It would, it was not me knowing what I wanted to do. It was pure luck. There's a lot of people who, you know, like the worst question that I think you can ask a kid is what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, because totally. kids don't have the faculties to answer that question, mm-hmm. right? They, they talk about what they know. And when you ask them that, you reinforce certain beliefs in them that may not be true to them. And so the same type of thing with going to university, like I come from – uh, you know, middle to upper class, predominantly Jewish neighborhood in Toronto. Every adult I ever knew was a lawyer, doctor, dentist, teacher, accountant. Hmm. My dad's an engineer to middle management businessman. My mom's a teacher. My sister's a lawyer. My brother's a banker. My other brother's a teacher. 
every single one of my friends is a lawyer, doctor, dentist, teacher, accountant. Every single one. And so that was all we knew. And you know what? Some of them are very happy, right? But some of them are not. And it's because they all finish school, some of them in debt, some of them not. At 24, 25 years old, they have a ton of sunk cost at that point. And because they were forced to make a decision very early without knowing a lot about life, they went down a path that they now feel stuck in because they've invested so much into it. Houses are the same way, right? We're made to believe that we should buy a house because it's the smart financial investment at a young age. Sure. And, and I could I could argue with you that it's not. Um, you know, I, I I I definitely buy into the arguments that perhaps owning your home isn't the smartest financial decision. It depends on where you are. I do own my home, but it's not for financial reasons, it's for personal reasons. I like having a home. Sure. Right. Yeah. And um but the reason that I love having my home, I could live anywhere that I want in the world, and I have. I've traveled I've lived abroad four to six months every year for the last nine years. I've lived abroad for over 1,300 days right? in the last nine years, everywhere. Right? I could live in Hawaii. I have twice. I could live in Thailand. I have twice. Like all of these things, right? You know where I bought a house? Toronto? Metro? Less, <laughs> less, less than a 10-minute walk from my parents and my sister. Oh, that's cool. And um, we're in a real community. We're in a real neighborhood. I'm living right now for the winter in a little Pueblo in Mexico. Hmm. And it's community here. I don't want to live in a big house with multiple acres. That would be miserable for me. I love the energy. I love the vibrancy. I love the fact that I can't go outside without seeing people that I love and that I care about and that my kid just runs to the neighbors and, you know, there's a like a Mexican birthday party and they see my son and they bring him out a little loot bag, you know, because that's what people do here because we're in a Pueblo in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of shit to me is everything. But would I appreciate that? Here's, here's the question that I ask myself. Would I appreciate where I live so much, particularly in Toronto, if I had bought that house when I was 21 years old at a university? And I think the answer is no, because the grass would have been greener. I would have always wondered what it would have been like to live somewhere else. And so I think a lot of the values, perhaps, in the philosophies I mean, I like to read a lot. I like to think of it a lot, but also just like I've lived so many different ways. Mm. I've lived in caves in Thailand, right? Like <laughs> I've lived everywhere wow. in any way, you know, yeah. you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And all of that has really cemented into me what is important and what isn't. When you've got to pack your entire life into a backpack three to four times a year for nine years straight, and carry it on your back, you become really in tune with the kind of stuff that matters to you and what doesn't. Or just how the rest of the world lives and the, and the, you know, that sort of, uh, you know, 1% problems that we have here in the United States. There's that too. There's that too. You're like, wait a minute, all of these people have nothing that we're made to believe that we actually want back at home. And yet they're smiling all the time. Right. Why is that? Oh, because they're around family, mm-hmm. because they have a community, because people look after each other here. Mm. So maybe that, and because they're outside all the time, because they eat food that is largely local to them, right? Right. Maybe that is actually more important than buying a big house and a nice car to impress your neighbors. I don't know. Maybe. No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It, it's that ability to experience just life in general and, and taking that opportunity to. And I'm sure there was some risk. Uh, I, and maybe I don't want to speak for you, but like, was there a feeling of like, hey, I'm going to go and travel around the world and live in caves? Like, well, was that every, ever like a thought? Every, no, no. I mean, keep in mind, like I started doing this in uh, – 2013 was my first winter abroad. Like okay. being a like digital nomadery wasn't a thing, right? right? Like it wasn't, no parent was 
proud to brag to their friends that their kid was an entrepreneur being a digital nomad. Like that is right. not a thing, right? It wasn't anything they desired. It was the first year that I did it, I, I basically ran away. I ran away to Hawaii. I, I just was not – I was not happy with the person that I was becoming. Um, I started up uh, – you know, I started my online stuff and um, started to do pretty well. And I just wasn't happy with the person that I was becoming. Hmm. I just didn't appreciate the people around me enough. And I could see that spiral, that downward spiral happening. I knew I needed to separate myself from the world to um, almost better figure out how I wanted to live within it. And so I did. So I ran away, but I split up from my girlfriend, who's now my wife, but I split up from her at the time and, uh, and ran away to Hawaii. And I was there mm-hmm. for six months, figuring my shit out. Um, and, uh, and that was going to be the only time that I did it. And then Allison and I, you know, started to hang out again. She was writing her board exams for medical school. So she was studying at my place. And then all of a sudden, you know, a toothbrush showed up and all of a sudden she'd come home with groceries and, and that started happening. But then she passed her boards and she was going to um, go to Southeast Asia for her big trip before she became a doctor, you know, mm. uh, and she left. And my mom gave me the best piece of advice anybody's ever given you in the world, anybody's ever given me in the world, which was, if you want that girl, you better get on a plane tomorrow. Hmm. And I was on a plane two days later and I chased after her to Thailand. And, and the we've rest been together is ever since. <laughs> and so every year we'd come home for the summer, we'd rent a car, we'd rent a condo, we'd be home for six or eight months in the summer, and then... We'd give back the keys and we'd just say, we'll do it one more year. We'll do it till there's a reason for us not to do it. That was hmm. all that it was. That's so interesting. I mean, and and I, again, it, it takes a special, uh, I, I guess, not even just grit or, or planning. It almost sounds like, and I guess what's refreshing about it too, and I've read uh, in your various books where you've created materials, it was doing extremely well, extremely well financially. And you stepped away because it wasn't necessarily serving the people you had intended to serve. We're just going about to, to do that next year. We're shutting down the online trainer academy next year. Wow. Because you feel like it's not serving? Because when it came out in 2016, it was the right product for the market. The mm. world's evolved. People need something different now. What is that? Still something? selling, still making a couple million bucks a year. Wow. But it's, it's not, it, the information in it is still great. People need, what, what I believe is that what people need now is more digestible, accessible education that mm-hmm. fills in their gaps, right? They don't need these big courses that are 30 to 40 hours. And they certainly don't have the ability to study like they're in university anymore. You know, like the Online Trainer Academy, we ship a textbook and a workbook to your house, and then there'd be a digital portal. And you'd have to sit down in front of your computer in an uninterrupted time when you could concentrate with all two, with two books open, with your digital portal open, you know, filling in, working through it. So that at the end of this 30 or 40 hours, you know, everything that you need to know about building an online fitness business, right? Um, that's simply not how learning really happens. Um, and so... What, what we're doing is, is we're putting out a series of smaller, more accessible courses that are all manageable and on the go. Each lesson is no more than 15 minutes. Hmm. And um, you listen and do the work directly on your phone while you're waiting for the bus, right? While your kid's taking a nap, well, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're skills. So uh, I'll give you the, the three courses that we're starting with is time management and productivity in the 21st century, uh, marketing, and, and specifically marketing in ways that don't just serve you right now today, but are going to serve you into the future, becoming just dangerous at that. And then uh, client care. Le- how to leverage new technologies and take care of your clients better. It's not online training client care, right? Right, right. It's trainers in person need to understand how to leverage the technologies available to them to be able to take care of their clients better. Because the, the truth is technology 
is going to radically redefine the role of people who work in fitness. Hmm. Um, artificial intelligence, augmented intelligence is going to radically redefine what trainers do and what they don't do. It already is. And it's not going to replace them far from it. It's going to optimize them because technology takes away all of the tasks that humans shouldn't do to allow humans to show up in greater capacities as humans. Right. And so we're teaching those skills. We're basically re-educating our industry because the certification bodies are simply just never going to do it because they don't give a shit because they're owned by private equity and venture capital and they're just going to sell you stuff you don't need because you're going to buy more of it. Right. Well, and I think you're playing on the short attention span syndrome, if you will, that I I think has gotten worse over the course of COVID. Uh, You know, we talk about uh, not to reiterate, but go back to, you know, width and depth of of something. But what I think you've proven in your posts, especially on IG, is that you can have depth with short width, if you will. Like the, the message doesn't have, can be very concise, but still have a great deal of depth in it. Um, and, and if you can build a, an education program that does the same thing, um, it's going to be more beneficial for that individual and more likelihood that they'll do it right. Giving them what they want in an easy to use format. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look like this is, this is the theme of, of, of this show. And then, you know, I'm enjoying this, but I do have to go, Tyler is, uh, is, you know, how do you, how do you give people what you want while still providing them what they need? Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, I appreciate you, uh, taking the time. I think it's a a really good conversation. Um, I didn't work on any of the questions that I had on my list. There was a couple, but I I think it was always make for better podcasts. Oh, hundred percent. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to tell the the listeners? I know it was just a conversation between you and I, but uh, anything else you want to highlight or uh, where we can find you? I mean, Instagram, it's Coach Goodman. That's all okay. I got. All right. I appreciate you, man. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. You got it. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for listening to Train, Eat, Repeat. Connect with us on Instagram at fit underscore ferrant or at traineatrepeat.co. Until next time, stay strong, stay healthy.